The Corona Cavaliers outscored Oak Park 11 to 4 in that third quarter. And there's a lot of noise in Chrysler Arena right now as uh, Oak Park's lead, which was at 8 at 35-27, has been cut to 35-34. Corona has scored seven straight points. And now, Jim, it's anybody's ball game here in these final eight minutes of play. Both teams have made a lot of mistakes today, but both teams have done things very well, too. Only four points in that quarter. Shot is up and in, and they count it. There's no foul. It's good by Brian Laskowski, four for him. And Corona has taken the lead for the first time since the early moments of the game. That's eight turnovers on Oak Park. Down the floor they come. This is Zelensky, faces man, puts it up too hard. Weber's right there to clean it up. Mike Weber. And now it's 35 to 31. Weber and Zelensky are going to give you 100%. We mentioned that before. They go the entire length of the floor. They play both ends. And that was a nice putback there by Weber. He didn't give up on it. Going to come down to free throw shooting. As you know, Corona's had trouble. They're only 5 out of 15 in the first half. And John Patel's on the line. He's 3 out of 5 there today. On the way down to the ball game, we saw all kinds of signs and the automobiles that said, love those Cavaliers. Here's the free throw, and that's perfect. Well, John Patel is now 4 out of 6 there today. He has 6 points, and those are big free throws, 45 to 39. And that's something you don't have to worry about seeing in Cleveland. No. <laughs> all of a sudden, Corona can't miss from that line. There's 21 seconds to go. Two shots for Zelensky. He needs to make at least one. Boy, that's a big free throw in his life. 13 points for Zelensky, and he has in this half three. Now it's a two-point game. This might ice it with 21 seconds to go. Yes! 50 to 47 with 20 seconds to go. Marshall is out of the game. Oak Park will have to shoot right away. They do. It falls down. Do they have a timeout left? 13 seconds. They're not going to call it. The basket was good by Thornton, 50-49, seven seconds out of, oh, it's stolen away! Hollifield, I think, as he fouled, what's the call from midcourt? They call it kicking and give it to Corona. Boy, that's a tough call to make in the final five seconds of the game. You can see the fury, they're gonna have to pressure the ball here. Apparently they have no timeouts left with five seconds to go. Here's the long pass down the floor. They get it to Zelinski. Lays it up and in with three seconds to go. And they're going to win the state championship. It's all over. Corona has defeated Oak Park to win the state championship today. 52 to 49. And you can see this very happy crowd and this very happy Corona team. Wow, how about that for a flashback? Hello and welcome to Episode 7 of Three Point Podcast and our special salute to the 1983 Class B State Championship Basketball Team, the Corona Cavaliers. Our corporate sponsors tonight include Trimer Corporation, the worldwide leader in air pollution control systems, and Rivals Tap House and Grill, gracious host of the 35th anniversary of the State Champs, Friday, February 16th. I'm Ted Fattel of Sportsnet Michigan and Z92.5. On the phone with us is Matt Burns of ESPN. And Jared Fattel of Fat Stack Sports and WJSZ Radio is right here in the studio with me as well. We'll also be joined again tonight by Jack Strap and his different take on sports. In the studio tonight, we also have players from that 1983 team. Point guard and my brother, Jared's dad, John Fattel. We have forward Mike Weber. We have All-State Center 
Phil Zielinski on the phone with us, and we have assistant coach Charlie Carr, who was Frank Davis's right-hand man as the assistant coach. Now, we're going to start right now with Charlie. Charlie, when did you and Frank realize this was a special group? Well, I think we, we both knew that we had an awful lot of talent on the group, and it, like it is with coaches, we were probably a little more hesitant to think ahead uh, too far with them, but yeah, we we knew they were very good right right away. When they were freshmen, even we knew they were good. Yeah, I was going to ask you about that because even when you were fr- when they were freshmen, uh, you even had Rob Nurse on the team, who was also a fantastic player. Right, Rob was a very good player. Uh, his dad Howie um, actually went to Ohio State University and then uh, coached high school in uh, in uh, Ohio and then and college in Ohio and then came up to Corona and I think coached at. Uh, John Wesleyan College, yeah, when uh, Rob was was here. We're talking the 1983 Corona State Championship, kind of the Michigan, the mid-Michigan version of Hoosiers. Cavaliers unranked all season long. Oak Park ranked number one for a good portion of the season. That was the championship matchup. Nobody gave the white kids from Corona a chance to beat Oak Park in that game, but uh, lo and behold, in front of a raucous Chrysler Arena, which had to be at least 80% Corona Cavalier fans that day. It was a day to remember. Mike Weber, you had a fantastic championship game. First of all, welcome to the podcast tonight, and uh, just some of your memories, first of all, of that championship game itself. Well, thanks thanks for inviting me in tonight. Um, what, we, what I remember from that game was being exhausted when we were done. <laughs> um, you know, and I also remember they were they were a tough team. They had a, a guard that could really light it up, and 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 he did. I mean, I think he had 30, 30 points that game. Freddie Marshall and and uh, yikes. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I remember going in at halftime thinking, oh man, I, you know, we were down by eight points, I believe, and it. I, I was a little unsure of how how it was going to end up, but uh, we ended up coming back and and. In winning it. Well, you know, we played the highlights, just a few of the highlights before this podcast got on the air. And uh, Phil, I want to ask you the question next. Uh, tail end of the game, you stepped to the free throw line, ice water in the veins. You nailed a couple of big free throws to, to kind of give the Cavaliers some breathing room. But Oak Park came down and made a basket, so it still was a one point game. And of course, uh, a controversial play at the sidelines, they called a kick on Oak Park. But then you got the uh, the long pass down court, laid it in at the horn, and basically crowd went crazy. Your memory of the tail end of that game and step into the free throw line? The free throws, uh, I wasn't known as a free throw shooter, and you know those were successful. And Johnny had a couple that were successful too, which really helped us towards the end of the game. And, and my memories are just the stress, just that clock as, as we went through that and all the timeouts and you know, you know, Frank had talked to us, tried to calm us down, the stress of just trying to get that game over with. Clock wasn't moving, and we were just trying to keep the ball in bounds. And with that in that final basket, I, I just remember the relief, that horn. It sounded, it, it sounded like a train horn when it went off, and I remember the, the flashing light at the backboard, just that relief and that shock. Uh, th- those are the, some of the things that stick with you the most. Well, John, uh, you obviously had a big part of the game itself in that team. You went on to an outstanding coaching career in your own right. And uh, Matt, you, you might remember uh, being coached by John, right? I do, actually. And uh, to be honest, my first uh, memory of being coached by Coach Patel, I was in middle school, 
and I went to Owasso High School for a summer basketball camp, and Coach Fratello was coaching there, and he we all got basketballs for, for being in the basketball camp, and he wrote Owasso rules all over the basketball. So it was just kind of funny for it to come full circle that he ended up coaching me at Corona. <laughs> yeah, he did all right there, I guess. John, just go back to the 83 team for a minute. John, your thoughts on the championship game and just that team in general? Well, a couple of things I want to talk about uh, when – Mike was talking about Freddie Marshall lighting us up, which he did. And I remember Coach Carr, usually he was, was pretty calm-headed with, with me. He was one of my, my go-to guys when I would come off the court. And twice during the game, I tried to steal the ball. I tried to rip it from Freddie Marshall, and he went by me and scored. And I remember the first time he did it, Charlie ripped me and said, what are, you, what are you doing? He's got like 28 points right now. Why are you trying to steal the ball from him? And I did it again. I got a piece of the ball, but not enough. And and he went down and scored. And I remember just that timeout walking to the bench, just the, the eyes from Charlie saying, this is this is not good. For, for those who haven't uh, watched this game, how I would describe it, it's kind of like if you put Bob Cousy on, <laughs> on Kyrie Irving and just got blended a few times. That's kind of how I would describe it. Touche. Oh, with some crazy hairstyles for sure. <laughs> well, you had the short shorts and the high white socks. I mean, that's, oh, a, cla- that's a classic look that needs to come back. Yeah. yeah, you never know. I don't know if that 80s hairstyle is ever going to come back. I hope not. One of us, he, he asked us we were uh, playing in our swimming suits, so it was so tight. <laughs> All of you guys have, have brought up Coach Davis, and, and I've always appreciated, and Coach Vitelli, you're one of them, I've always appreciated well-coached teams, and, and I, I like John Beeline a lot at Michigan. What was it like to have a coach like Coach Davis to be your leader to uh, to get you to the state championship? Uh, I, can, I can answer that. I, I think that as as time goes by, you, you appreciate him all the time. I wish he was here, and I think he was a perfect coach for us. Um, I think we, we were a bit of a challenge our senior year, a bit cocky. There was some success, and he kept us grounded. I mean, he definitely would light us up every now and then, but it's, it's funny because sometimes he'd be practice was done and he'd be going on about us you know, getting a little lackadaisical. And if he went on too long, somebody would make fun of him behind his back. And we would all just start laughing. And the thing about Frank is he'd turn around, he'd always catch the person, and then he'd just start laughing. And he'd say, you know, who's, who's trying to make fun of me right now? And that was Frank. He, he knew how to, you know, he knew how to get us disciplined, but he also knew when to back off. And the one thing you could say about Frank is he cared for the kids. I mean, if it came between, you know, the detriment of any kid that played for him now, or I'm sorry, back then throughout his entire career winning that state championship, he would have chose us kids. Now, Phil, you mentioned how you guys were cocky. I've, I've heard a story where you guys, before your last regular season game, you guys went golfing before your game. And I've actually heard that because of that, it actually cost you the area scoring title. Uh, do you want to talk about that? <laughs> I, I don't know if it cost you the, the title. I know Frank sure was. Frank was not happy with that. And I don't know why we decided to do that. Uh, maybe we just needed a break just to, to relax a little bit. But... <laughs> Once again, I, I don't know if it cost me the title. It, I'm going to throw that on my brother, John. I'm just going to throw him under the bus right there. Yeah, maybe he was the instigator of that whole thing. I was I was kind of the instigator on that one. All I know is it was unseasonably warm. It was about 65 degrees. We were hosting Elma, who we had beaten at Elma earlier the year by, like, 30. They were the worst team in the league. And I'll go back to what you said, Phil. We were a little full of ourselves, and we didn't think anything would be able to stop us. We felt we could go golfing and still take care of business that night. And 
It was a pretty tight game, actually. You know, I, I kind of set it up as that that was mid-Michigan's version of Hoosiers. And when you look at how that team made it to Chrysler Arena, it's just absolutely amazing because, really, you, you almost shouldn't have got out of the first round of the districts. I mean, most people that followed that team understands that uh, you took on Durand, a very good coach team by Conlon Smith. Uh, Frank had uh, coached under Conlon for a long time. Game was tied up at the end of regulation. Their best player, probably their best shooter at the free throw line. All he has to do is make the front end of the one and one I say all he has to do, but he missed it. It goes to overtime, and the Cavaliers win that game. And then in the district finals, if I remember right, you had a very strong Ovid Elsie team next and only beat them by four. So really your toughest test in the entire tournament, other than that state championship game, was the districts, right, guys? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, one thing – a lot of a lot of the young kids today don't realize how good Durand was back in the day. They were they won their league that year. They were an outstanding team, um, matched up with us well. They, they were our biggest. Yeah. They, they had size. They had guards. Yeah. They played great defense. They, as you said, they were well coached. They were they were a tough team. There was a little bit of rivalry there too with Frank and Conlon Smith, right? They they coached together and maybe didn't get along so well sometimes, but I, I remember a big rivalry there. Let me ask you this, Charlie. You know, coaching against Conlon Smith and Bob Forback back in the day, you know, and you're there, Frank's right hand man. Those were some great rivalries, weren't they? They were some good rivalries, and we and that was that was a tremendous district uh, to play in. I, I think Duran was sixteen and four. We were sixteen and four. Ovid Elsie was. Yeah, 12 at and I, I think it was Chessing in it. They were around 500. It, it was a real good district uh, to be in. And all those teams played each other a couple of times, so everybody could prepare for everyone else. We all knew who would who was going to get the ball in situations. So if I remember right, that uh, district was in Chessonine, wasn't it? Was it was in Chessonine, right. Yep. So you went from there, went to the regionals up in Mount Pleasant, and really... You know, the big stage didn't intimidate you at all. You played good basketball against a couple pretty good teams up there in Saginaw, MacArthur, and Frankenmuth, and you, and you knocked them out uh, in good games, but uh, a good, solid matchup. Yeah, there was, Frankenmuth was a very good team, I recall. And, uh, um, yeah, that was a, it was a very good uh, uh, regional. And, um, and, of course, the quarterfinal game, which Tim Stout said we were going to lose. To the flippers. Well, yeah, the I will always all, remember that. The two all youper guards. That's all I was <laughs> hearing about. That's all I heard about was yeah, they were going to beat us in the in the quarterfinals. Now so. who who's Tim Stout? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he no works for ESPN. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I have no idea who is he. Actually, oh, Tim Stout did a, the play-by-play of the game. Yes, he did. Yeah, that, that was I, one of the things that was a big advantage for us. Remember, as juniors, we went to the regional finals and played two games at Central Michigan. So going back. The districts was uh, a pressure-packed event for us because everybody expected us to win, and I think we actually felt more pressure in the districts than we did in any other game the rest of the tournament. Yeah, that's a great point because your uh, your junior year you lost to Mount Pleasant in a close game in the regional final, right? Right. Yeah. Yep. We did. And it was that was the hardest part I thought too was getting out of the district. And one thing I remember about playing in Chesnane. It was so loud in there. My God, I, 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 it was disorienting because it was so loud at times in, in that game. But little it, band box. It was a it was a good time. Webb, can you share what you said to uh, the player who missed the free throw at the end of that well, game? <laughs> Scott Scott Shank and I are good friends now. I see him qu- quite often, and, and and I remember going back to the to the bench after he missed it, and I, I kind of tapped him on the back. I said, "Man, you just saved our butts," and, <laughs> and went back went back to the bench, and luckily we pulled it out. Now, now, is that, did you say butts or did you use no, a little I more used, profanity? No, I used the uh, cleaner version. <laughs> <laughs> 
Hey, uh, Charlie, another question. Uh, before that senior season, before that 83 run, you know, when you and Frank were going through summer workouts and, and doing your planning, what we, what you were going to do for the year, did you do anything special to kind of try and get that group ready? Well, you know, I don't know if we did anything real special with the group in the summer, but we did. We definitely tried to beef our schedule up. Anybody that we could change the schedule and play, play some teams that were a little more difficult to beat i i did we were we in that tournament weren't we we went in a we got in a tournament in flint yeah kersley yeah tried to get some teams that we had never seen before some teams that were that were real quality teams and uh i think that probably helped us now phil i got another question for you uh you were a standout obviously in basketball and uh, went on and played collegiate football for central michigan which sport did you like best you know i get that that question quite a bit and i remember having you interview me a few times at central too and uh I, I really, I don't think I could pick one of those sports over the other. Uh, football was a love, and so was basketball. I mean, it, it was great to have the opportunity because of the seasons to be able to play both. I'm just glad that I got to play for Corona and have the opportunities and, and the people, uh, to, you know, to meet the people and the support system we had there. Uh, you know, that that's some of the things that stand out to me. Yeah, Phil, when I, this is Mike. When I went to uh, Saginaw Valley to play basketball, a lot of the the guys there were always excited about trying to make the, the playoffs at, at the collegiate level. And I, I kept thinking to myself, you know, we won the state championship my senior year with all my high school, my lifelong friends. I said, even if we won the national championship in college, it still wouldn't compare to what we went through in high school. I, I mean, I really, really enjoyed high school basketball, the success we had. So Now, how do you guys think you guys would match up against, like, a team of today's game? Like, I mean, I think back to – Lansing Saxon with like Denzel Valentine and Bryn Forbes. How do you guys think you'd match up with a team like that in today's We'd game? We'd crush them. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, maybe I, I think that team would probably. They honestly, I think they would crush you. But I'm just thinking of teams that are state championship teams. That's the only one I can think of off the top of my head. The thing we had was we had good size. We had scorers. We we certainly played together well and we had good defenders you know I, there were four of us that were six three six four and, and John was lightning quick so. It, I think, you know, player for player, we would have done okay. I mean, I'm saying we would have won, oh, I, who knows. But we did have some good, even talent throughout the team, and we played together for so long. And it started those that freshman year with, with Charlie as our coach, which I, I certainly remember. That's where we started to gel. And when, when you play together that long and you have some, some good talent, you know, some things can happen. Well, you know, I, I don't want to shortchange the other two starters either. Jim Herrick, the left-handed sharpshooter, had a solid season and was a big contributor. And Richie Moffat came off, a, what, a leg injury? late in the season and uh, had a big basket in that state championship game. Of course, he's up coaching up north now. Yeah, we, we couldn't have won with, without either one of those guys. Herrick was a Jim was a strong defender and a shooter, a good-sized kid, and, and Rich was a good-sized kid, great defender, and he could shoot too. So it, it just worked out when you get everybody together like that with the amount of time that we played together and the coaches that we had. I think because we were kind of a balanced team, you know, somebody would have a bad game, somebody, always else, somebody else always had a better game than they normally played you know if, if Jim or if I had a bad game Jim scored 18 or 20 or whatever or John you know it wasn't it was any of us could do it when we needed to and sort of talking about uh, today's game I look at you know players of the past kind of like uh, Kevin McHale and I think if he played in today's game he would kind of be more of like a stretch for I think he would develop like a three-point shot 
How do you guys see your team sort of developing if you were in today's game? By the way, I should remind our listeners, this is three-point podcast, three different generations. The young buck there obviously <laughs> likes the, the new teams. We would, I, I believe we would have adjusted, but we didn't have to. We had an unbelievable inside presence with, with Z and, and Webb. We didn't ha- and we didn't have to rely on a three-point shot because it <laughs> didn't exist. Yeah. There was no line. Yeah. But we had guys who could shoot from outside. Richie Moffitt would have would have stretched people, and he was bigger than most people, so he would have sure. then also been able to beat people off the dribble. Um, Jimmy Herrick could shoot. We had people who could shoot. It just wasn't part of the game back then. That's just different. Did teams ever try to like zone you guys? Was that? Big thing back then, like running zone defense, or not really? Yeah, zone's been around for a while, Jared. <laughs> <laughs> I don't, and that that with no success, that would work against you guys. It I, seems like that's what I would well, do. If I, I want to go back to what, one of the things that Charlie said when we were talking about Coach Davis. He was the perfect coach for us um, in in all of the ways that he said and that Webb have said and, and Z echoed as well. But even from a strategy standpoint, he, we were we were talented, but he kept things really simple and we knew where we needed to get the ball. And, and Z has been pretty humble, but he was the, the cog of the team that everything revolved around him. And Webb said that Sometimes somebody would have an off game. I don't think Z ever had an off no, game, right. I mean, but one of the other four right, right. would but, help would help with that. Other and, than after golf, other than after, <laughs> yeah. and even then, I think he still had twenty. But yeah, uh, uh, yeah so so we were pretty simple with the things that we did. Uh, but Frank did a great job of of putting us in positions where we could be successful. A lot of teams tried to zone us, but we went into very simple overload and we got it, the ball it, down low. It and seemed like more of a physical game at the time. It just it just seemed you know. Physical so strong inside i mean he would carry people to the rim when he went and shot you know either he made it or he'd go to the free throw line well you guys down low too could jump so quick that caught a lot of teams off guard even after scouting you they didn't realize how quick you could get up and and get offensive rebounds which was key as well matt you seem like the lone stranger here on this conference call you probably want to jump in with something here right oh i'm just enjoying the chatter I, i love it i could listen to this all day but i was going to ask you guys uh you talked a little bit about how cool it was to to play for Corona and, and be in a uh, community like that. What did it mean to you guys to, you know, I, I read an article and Phil, you were talking about how you like to go back and, and watch games at Corona still. And, you know, you have those memories, mm-hmm. you know, I, I grew up in Corona, played my whole career there. So I, I know what that's like to see, see the caravans following the buses to football and basketball games and stuff like that. What, what did it mean to you guys to play for a community like, like Corona? Uh, if I'm not jumping in, I mean, it means everything. Uh, that's what I appreciate every day, just the chance to play for Corona. And, and the staff, coaching staff, teachers, parents, and, and fans, that, as time goes by, that's what really sticks out was, was that support system our opportunity to play and, and the chance to get to the finals. And I, I think as time goes by, what I remember the most is us being together as a team with Corona on our jersey, but then, you know, to have that support system. And, you know, I could name people forever, Jim Duffield and Mr. Schooley and everybody. But, you know, to have – you're so excited after you win the game and then they pull over on the side of the road and then police cars come and people are tired after going to that game, yet they still come out and wave to us as we go by and come to the gymnasium, you know, just to see everybody. It, it's incredible. That's what matters the most, and I'm sure it matters just as much for the kids that we're going to see next Friday. You know, it'll be good to see Corona's present and future players, and I'm sure they have the same great support staff. 
Yeah, I, I would concur. Uh, just a, an unbelievable community. It's meant everything to me and our family for sure. And, and I wanted to just talk. You, you made a, a cool point there, Z, about Gary Schooley. The Huevos that Gary had to go to Chrysler Arena wearing his Michigan State sweater back in the day <laughs> it was it was pretty amazing. Hey, let's go back down memory lane a little bit after the game, guys. We know you came through, picked up the win. You know, the crowd's going crazy. Like I said, 80% of that place was raucous Corona fans, even the, even the fans that were there to watch other schools. Walk us through what happened after the game. You know, what was said in the locker room, if you can remember. You know, the, the ride home back on the bus and then seeing the fans lined up to see you guys and follow you to the gym and one final thing on on the the uh, after party, <laughs> seeing Dick Moffat dancing on the table at the River Bend. Yeah, I mean, come on, I miss that. You know, we were we were 17, 18 years old. We didn't get invited. We didn't get invited to the River the Bend. River Bend. <laughs> now, one one thing I wanted to talk about maybe before the final game was the night before. You know, we went down there the day before and played Dwajak and beat them by seven or eight. And I remember Phil and I roomed together at the uh, U of M hotel campus, down there campus yeah campus in and we're sitting there watching tv and and you know just kind of reminiscing and and we're saying you know you know we've t- taken this as far as we can take it right we've played every high school game that you can play and it was i i, I just enjoyed that night and uh the other thing we, we were watching oak park highlights and watching those guys dunk in the basketball and we're going oh my god it's gonna be a tough game the next day so yeah the the experience obviously was was incredible um having everybody around i mean even our our classmates and i don't know how we did this in the day without cell phones but i remember joe janka and steve walton made the trip to ann arbor one of the things one of my habits during the game was I, i i had some big league chew that i chewed during the basketball game they brought some to the hotel. I don't know how did, we contacted did, did you them, guys but tell them well, to come in, or how'd that go? Well, what happened was they had this is Charlie. What happened? Uh, people started to call and wanted to talk to the players, <laughs> and we wouldn't let them do it. We wouldn't let the phones be on in your rooms. So what we did was let the kids come into where Duff and Frank and 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 Schooley and I were at, and come in and talk on the phone. But to talk on the phone, they had to go over the scouting report with me before they, <laughs> before they got to get to the phone <laughs> and uh, talk a little bit about Oak Park. The one thing I remember that, and I don't know if Mike remembers it or not, um, after the game, after we won the game and we're standing in the arena still, before they even handed out the trophy, Mike is just standing there looking around, and I'm wondering what he's doing. And he told, I don't know if he told me or, or uh, Scott Moeller, one of us, he said, I'm, I'm getting this in my mind so I never forget it. Yeah. <laughs> That was pretty cool. <laughs> in regards to the experience, uh, I'm just kind of personally curious. Uh, it was a while ago, so what type of music did you guys listen to, like to get pumped up before games and celebrate? It was like the Beatles or something like that. <laughs> it's, it, it's all the popular music right now. ACDC, and, and they're all good songs that are played right now. <laughs> Boston, Sammy Hagar, Foreigner, the heck, Jared. I, I like Boston, so I can appreciate that. Hey, I, I will. I do want to say there. You were talking about after after the game, Ted. The one regret that I had is that I just didn't hang on to Z's jersey afterwards. When all the newspaper reporters and the TV people were talking to him, I should have just stuck by him, and I could have gotten some FaceTime afterwards. Didn't you guys go on spring break right after the game? So was it kind of like 
we won, you know, let's celebrate, and then, every, oh, see you later, yeah. going to Florida. Yeah, well, no, that, yeah. that wasn't like Thing that back, back in the then, day. Yeah, true. Back in the day, we didn't go to Florida. Yeah. But, yeah, it would have. we did go on spring break that week, um, so it would have been cool to have the, the student body back there for that Monday back in school. Uh, I guess it's a okay trade-off, though. Yeah, I'd yeah, say so. Yeah. Hey, Phil, uh, they were, he was talking about uh, getting all the interviews with the television stations. Uh, you became quite savvy at that, and we can tell just by uh, the way you talk on the phone here tonight. Well, yeah, I mean, there were quite a few. I, I do remember being very excited, and I, I thought I was babbling quite a bit. And <laughs> especially right afterwards, you know, it was such a state of shock, especially at the, gymna- the gymnasium talking to everybody. It just seemed to me like I had no thoughts. I just couldn't put anything together. I guess over time, maybe it gets a little bit better, but I'm glad I had the opportunity, and, I, you know, I'm, I'm certainly glad I had the opportunity. Hey, Phyllis, Mike, when I when we – after we won and we all kind of went our own ways and went to college for the first year, you know, I always, I would run into people and, and, and they'd find out we won the state championship and they say, Oh yeah, we saw that. We, we were rooting for you guys. I and mean, it was just a lot of people that weren't even around the community seemed to be rooting for us a lot of time. I just, I thought that was kind of neat. I don't know. Did you run into that up at central too? Yeah. Phil, when you were up at central, did you get uh, a lot of people coming up to you saying you, they saw you in that state championship game? I did. You know, and a lot of the guys I played with had mentioned it. Coaching staff had mentioned it. It, w- it was quite an opportunity because a unique opportunity because, you know, I was playing at central that next year and we played the regionals actually the year before and that year at central. So at the game, Dramedy was there. Our defensive coordinator, Dick Flynn, was there. So, you know, I caught a lot of ribbing about my hands and my free throw shooting and all that <laughs> stuff. And it, those kind of things stick with people. And, and Dramedy was always good about that. And he actually, in meetings, he would mention that state championship. He would mention how we played together as a team. And Dramedy actually talked to me because he went to the game. They were recruiting another player, Brian Smallblown, for Dwaziak for Central. So Dramedy was there, and he met me after the game. And it was quite an experience to have. He was excited. He was excited to have seen the game, and he was so he was so great to talk to about it. And like I said, he would bring it up in meetings and and talk about motivation and playing together. And he would use that as an example. So yeah, it was quite an opportunity. So Phil, you mentioned Central. Uh, I have a few buddies that go there right now, and sort of the hot spot. Uh, this is for kind of our younger generation, but it's uh, it's called Wayside Club. Was that was that around <laughs> oh, when, that you were, when you were when you went to school there? Then. The Wayside was right there next to. I, I lived there at Emmons with some Corona kids. Uh, Jeff Franks was one of them, and, and the Wayside was right there. And because of the location, it was a crazy spot. And there were plenty of times that we were at the Wayside. But Central does seem to be a, a big hot spot now, both for football and for the the, the School of Medicine and, and everything going on there. So yeah, it's, it's a great place to go. I was glad I was there, and it's a good football team too. In my day, it was the Wayside and the Alibi. Yeah, the old <laughs> Alibi. Can't miss that place. You know, one other guy I want to talk about that played in that championship championship game was Brian Leskowski the junior came in yeah. gave you quality minutes and in the highlight tape you know scored the basket to start the fourth quarter to put you guys ahead for the rest of the game uh, your thoughts on on his play uh, what a great story Brian was and I always bring this up and I know it's probably old news but we had a practice where he had to leave practice because his family's cows got out and I, I can't get over that. That's right. <laughs> you know, and, you know, Brian was tough, and he hung with the team, and he was always there at practice. And, you know, he threw some serious elbows. <laughs> but, you know, it was great that he was there at that time, and he pulled off that shot at that point in the game because we needed it. 
Uh, you know, I always thought we were going to win, but we needed that spark, that final spark that got us going. So, yeah, it was it was great to see. Yeah, it was a huge hoop. And, you know, and some of the other players that, that played during the season that were contributors to that championship squad, let me just throw their names out right now in case they're tuned into this podcast. Jeff Jones, who was an outstanding athlete, didn't get in the championship game, was a big contributor to the team. Jeff Taco Franks, a part of the team. Doug Howes. Tony Toma. Uh, Matt Householder, a fine player. He led the area, I believe, in scoring the following year. Uh, Mike, your brother, Brian Weber, a part of the team. Mark Krastenberg was brought up late, the sophomore. He had a, a good career at Corona. And uh, Ron Everett, also a key member of the team. Ted, uh, interesting note on Ron Everett. Okay. He is part of a very small fraternity of actually was a pilot of Air Force One. No way. Yep. Really? From Corona. Uh, no, I'm not exactly sure. You when don't I know hear, what Air Force when, One is. Dude. <laughs> when I hear Air Force... Oh, out, he knows. <laughs> yeah. when, personally, when I hear Air Force One, I think of the uh, Nelly uh, song, Air Force Ones. What exactly is Air Force One? Uh, there's, there's this thing in our country called the President, and he has a plane that he uh, travels on. Plane, yeah. uh, what what class plane. does that fall under in school, John? Where, where should know. he have learned that uh, one? He's, First grade. <laughs> I had one more question. This is, I guess, it's more uh, specifically directed to uh, Coach Fatel. I'm just curious. Um, our our team there that made made the run to the Breslin Center. What kind of things did you see in our team that were similar to your guys' team that won the state championship? That's a great question. I think it was the balance. Um, you go back to what Webb said about our team earlier, that we always had um, – our team always had Zelinski as our main scorer. The team that you played on had so much balance. Um, but the, the offense, even though Dan Hess was only a sophomore, everything ran through him. Uh, and we were an inside team. Now the three-point line obviously had a had a major difference, and and we relied on that. And we kind of did some different things defensively. A lot of similarities. Um, I don't think anybody on either team cared about anything except for the final result. Um, I don't think that uh, if Josiah Erbright, everybody was as happy for Josiah making those free throws against Flint Southwestern as if it would have been anybody else in the team. No envy, no jealousy. Uh, and, and I think that's the way our team was, too. We just cared about the final result and cared about winning. You know, like I said at the very beginning, uh, I've said it a couple times now, this is kind of like the Hoosier story here, mid-Michigan style. For our listeners, maybe, that doesn't, they don't know anything about Corona. I hope they're enjoying this flashback in time. 35th anniversary coming up. I know there's a big get-together after Friday, uh, February 16th game at Corona at Rivals. Uh, and, you know, you're going to see a lot of people there. You guys are all going to be there. That should be a great get-together. Now, you guys mentioned watching the this year's team. Uh, kind of this year, I think, I think honestly, kind of unfairly, people have tried to draw somehow draw comparisons to your guys' team to their team. So I just had a question: uh, How many points do you guys think you would win by, thirty or forty? <laughs> I haven't seen this team, but I'm glad to hear that they're they're doing well. Uh, like you said, the, the game has changed so much. It'll be great to see them. It'll be great to be in the gym, and I'm, I'm glad that there there's some there's some talk about how good they are because that'll be a great game to see. All right, guys, before we wrap this segment up, uh, Phil, yeah, we'll start with we'll start with you. Tell us what you've done these last 35 years, what you're up to. Give us a little uh, thumbnail sketch. You bet. I mean, I, I still live in Michigan. I'm over here in the Detroit area. I live in Royal Oak. I, I, I get the opportunity to come to Corona to see the parents, and I still see everybody that we played with, and. 
I'm a single guy. You never know where life's going, and, and I've always been single, but it's all good. I'm glad to still be in Michigan. I'm glad that I can still see everybody, and I'm glad that I can visit Corona. You're still single. That's that's pretty awesome. <laughs> I, 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 can, I can respect that move. you got to be hardcore. you really got to be dedicated to, to it to be single <laughs> at my age. How about you, John? What's up with you? Well, I, I'm assistant superintendent at Corona Public Schools, so I, I cannot answer Jared's question about <laughs> how we would do against this year's team. We just we would like them to make the same run that we did. I think that would be really cool. Um, I, I do want to, before I before I sign off and you go to a different segment, I would like to give some credit to when we were freshmen, the team that was seniors at the time, where our other brother George played on and Phil and East and Jeff Rowley really did play an important part in us winning a state championship because they won the league championship as a senior, which was the first time, I think, in 20-some years or 30 years that that Corona had won a, a league championship. And they made it to the regionals, lost to Saginaw Eisenhower, who I think all of us in the studio would say that we felt that we had the better team, and Eisenhower made it all the way to the state championship game. And I think that that really cemented to us that we can do this. That we're not, it's not a dream that there's no way that a miracle that Corona could ever win a state championship. They showed us that it was, that it was possible. So you, shout out to them. You mean you, you didn't go all the way back to the 71, 72 perfect love, Cavaliers? I would love to say <laughs> zero and 19 that I was a part of. I, I, I did watch those games and was waiting for the cheerleaders to throw basketballs up in the stands at us. <laughs> How about you, Mike? Tell us a little bit about uh, what you've done, your family life, all that. Uh, well, I'm married, and my I have a, a son that's a senior at Corona who's a, a track guy. And I, I, I lived in Chicago right after college for a year or two, and then I went to Grand Rapids and worked at a, at a dye shop. And I, now I've been at General Motors now for like 22 years, so staying ahead of the repo man you know <laughs> just living life <laughs> all right charlie and we got you out of uh houghton lake tell us not out of houghton lake but off of houghton lake yeah well yeah <laughs> kind of yeah um yeah my wife and i are both retired we've uh i taught 30 years at corona and she taught 35 or six so we retire we have a little place at houghton lake that we go back and forth and uh just take it easy live the you know living the dream <laughs> well guys this has been a blast i'll tell you that much and anybody that's listening go see the fellas at uh, rivals tap house and grill celebrating the 35th anniversary of this state championship that's friday february 16th go watch this year's edition of the cavaliers first and uh relive those great memories we appreciate it guys thanks for coming in the studios next up let's see what's going on with our pod's oldest athletic supporter jack strap uh, Mark, Harry, and Ted. First of all, on the uh, 1983 Dream Team. I've lived in Chi-Town my entire life, and I was never so proud of that 83 team led by Big Zebra, Chris Weber, Rich Mafia, Jerry Dutcher, and little Johnny Vitale. They made us as proud as could be. For Corona to win a state championship in basketball was sweeter and more miraculous than having my son Jake move out of my basement. But anyway, defeating those city boys from Royal Oak Park was simply amazing. I remember the, the day like it was yesterday. Uh, it was yesterday Monday? Anyway, I was drinking beer and partying with people parked there along M71 near the I-69 with my AMC Pacer when the Cavalier team uh, bus drove by. And I was in such a good mood, waving at the team. We were partying hard with fans from Ovid, Elsie, Chesanine, and Duran. And I just happened to urinate accidentally on the leg of some truck driver from Duran who was parked next to me. And we both laughed so hard. And he said he was 
in such a good mood he was not going to kick my ass. So I think the 83 team for that. As I recall, the 84 team was subpar, and coincidentally I ran back into that truck driver at a gas station, and they did kick my ass. So I think the 84 team for that too. But I digress. Super Bowl 52. Hey, guys, I'm not going to brag about the fact that I told you so, or Andy Reid's Eagles would come back in the second half to beat the Patriots. My father, Jocko, taught me that no humility equals stupidity. He was quite the wordsmith. I won't brag. I'm not going to do it, even though I'm telling you right now that I predicted it. I will not say how insightful and brilliant I am. I just won't do it. Anyway, my comments on Patriot assistants Josh McDonald and Matt Patricia. I think Patricia will be a lot like Wayne Fonts. He'll be a player's coach. I'm not going to predict the Super Bowl, but I will predict that he'll bring some energy and enthusiasm, and the Lions will make the playoffs next year. Write it down. As for Ronald McDonald, he's not happy with his kitty meal in Indianapolis, and he wants to go home to his daddy, Billy, and someday when I'm all grown up and my daddy leaves me, I'll try to man up. Man up! I read, by the way, that Patriots owner Robert Kraft issued an apology to his fans following the game. He said, and I quote, We're sorry we disappointed you. Believe me, we feel bad. We're doing everything we can to be competitive next year and go down to Atlanta and get Super Bowl number six. Joe, guys, New England fans get a sincere apology for not winning their sixth Super Bowl, and the Detroit Lions and Henry and Martha Ford have not issued a sincere apology to us loyal Detroit fans, and our last title was 57. I need my blood pressure medicine. Jackie! Anyway, that was over 60 years. So anyway, I decided to write an apology for her. So my lovely wife Jackie here is going to read it. Jackie! Yeah, oh, sorry, you're right here. Hi, guys. Dear Detroit Lion fans, my heart is very heavy knowing that my husband created the assembly line concept of mass-producing great winning automobiles year after year. Okay, he messed up big time on the Ford Pinto, but he fired the engineer and gave him 1979 season tickets as a severance package. Yet... We have not managed to field one championship team in 60 years. We apologize from the bottom of our heart and bank account for drafting Titus Young, Charles Rogers, Joey Harrington, although he was a cute man, Aaron Gibson, Mike Williams, and what was I thinking in hiring Matt Millen and a coach named Marty Morningwig. Marty McFly would have been a better choice, but we can't go back in time, can we? Effective today, however, we are issuing a Henry Ford recall, and I'm not lying. If you are a season ticket holder, bring proof that you are, in fact, a moron who likes abuse, and we will give you 5% rebate on your next Ford car or truck. If you watch us on television, switch the channel. Let's bring the roar back, okay? Signed, Martha Ford. And finally, the Olympics. My son Jake hooked up his big American flag on his pickup truck this week as he headed out east in anticipation of the Winter Olympics in Lake Placid. I can't wait to see Sean White, Brian Boitano, speed skater Yoko Ono, and self-identified gay figure skater Adam Rippon. So, our family is red, white, and blue, and you should be too. We love the Olympics, and we love America. God bless America, and God bless you guys. Take care. Speed skater Yoko Ono, huh? 
Jack Strap. You just never know what he's going to say for sure. You know, let me start on the Olympics a little bit and ask you guys a question. Are you into the Winter Olympics at all? No, not at all. <laughs> Simple as that. Not at all. Summer Olympics, for sure. Winter Olympics, no. That's really funny. I was talking to some friends at, at work today and basically the same conversation. And I, everyone I talked to was basically saying the same thing. They were like, oh, man, Olympics? I didn't even realize it. You know, I, I like the Winter Olympics. I think one thing that has uh, made it lose a little bit of its luster is I, I, I like Olympic hockey. But since the NHL players aren't playing in the Olympics this year, that kind of makes it lose a little bit of luster to me. Um, but I, I love this, all the skiing and snowboarding. Um, you know, I, I'm a fan. Yeah, the problem I have, and I, I actually do like the, the Winter Olympics better than the Summer Olympics just because I like seeing oh the, my the – I do, God. I really do. <laughs> I, I like seeing the stories from Latvia, you know, and, and these little background things. The thing that I don't like, though, nowadays in the Olympics, it's become so money-driven. I mean, you got ice skating, you know, figure skating on there pretty much. That's the highlight. That's the thing that's on. My wife will not change the channel. I mean, I would be more – more interested in uh, in ice skating if if they have more uh, pipes out hitting people in the knees stuff like that you know I first off let me just say out of all your crazy takes that I've been hearing <laughs> lately that might be the worst take of all time that the Winter Olympics are better than the Summer Olympics oh man are you kidding me what long jump or long skiing what do they call that ski jumping let the, me just dream the team. agony of redeem defeat. team uh, Usain Bolt. It's the it's just so much more interesting. Okay, well, you're entitled to your opinion, and even I, though it's wrong. And like Matt said, I, if they had, if the if the hockey players were allowed to play, and like the NHL players were allowed to play in Olympic hockey, I, that definitely would intrigue me a lot more, and I definitely would watch that. But I, I'm not going to watch a second Olympics. Now I know this is before your time, but uh, you know you talk about the dream team and the redeem team. Maybe the greatest sports moment that has ever happened in this country is the miracle on ice. Yeah, now, I know that call. was way before your time. Agree, disagree, Matt? I think so, especially the call by Al Michaels. I think that's one of the, my favorite sports moments of all time, too. But, you know, I I, I think I am on Jared's side. With I, I do like the Summer Olympics better than the Winter, but I am a fan of the Winter Olympics. So I think, I, I don't know, I just like watching, you know, these are the best athletes at whatever sport they're doing in the world, and I just think that's cool to watch that that high level of competition yeah uh that just right see i hear i think <laughs> when i think of the miracle on ice i just think of the movie and uh I, who's the coach's name do you guys know her brooks her brooks is like his speech in the movie tonight we skate with them tonight we <laughs> we play kurt with russell, them right? yeah kurt russell tonight because we can that's just what i think of and there's like a video on youtube of a baby like saying it that cracks me up that was that was toned down quite a bit that was uh, that movie was by Disney, and I've read a bunch of interviews that 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 was the gist of what he said in that locker room. They definitely they they Disneyed that speech a little bit. <laughs> All right, that's enough Olympic talk. Yeah, I know this God. week <laughs> this week was also National Signing Day. You got some thoughts on that, Matt? But I wanted to bring up guys. Uh, one one thing that that I had to work on uh, this week was National Signing Day. It was a few days ago, and obviously in the state of Michigan, there's a ton of I don't know a ton of news I guess around the the disappointing class that Michigan had, and and I just kind of wanted to get your guys' thoughts on. On, on just the whole spectacle of National Signing Day. A, a year or two ago, Michigan had the whole the, that big event with with all the the comedians and the the stars that came and all that kind of stuff. And and you know you got all the kids lining up all their hats and kids making YouTube videos and to to announce where they're going to go to school. And to, to me, it's gotten a little out of control. Um, 
kind of like the NFL draft to me. Like the NFL draft is really cool, but now they're stretching out to three, four, five days, and it's all on TV, and it's around the around the year coverage basically. Uh, I mean, I get it. I work for ESPN. There's a reason that these things are, are on TV because a lot of people watch it. A lot of people care about recruiting in the NFL draft. What, what do you guys think? Is, is it a mess? Are we glorifying these, these 17-year-old kids that you don't even really know how, how well they're going to do when they get to college? What do you think? Maybe it's the young gun in me, but I don't know about you guys. I love the recruiting, the grabbing of the hats, the, oh, the videos. Oh, I hate it. Oh. I absolutely you hate never, it. See, me personally, I always, whenever National Signing Day comes around, I think, man, if I, had any, if I had any talent, what oh. would be my uh, – signing day like thing what would i do would i put on a fake hat and then take it off revealing the real team i was going to what do you guys think you would do that is the generation thing right there i just can't stand it it's and again you've talked about it before on this program about the money out there about how much money these people are making what was the who was the recruit that his mother had the alabama sweatshirt and the tennessee hat on and then he chose oh, florida Copeland. yeah he, he committed to florida but she didn't want him to go to florida she just walked off I don't blame her. Wow, that was a dumb move by him. They didn't come up with a bigger package, right? But what? A, yeah, yeah, probably. Uh, honestly, nothing. I, I personally don't see a problem with paying players, but people seem to. Let's be honest; it's kind of the older generation. Right. I think is kind of who does it. Yeah. But do you think that? Do you think there was any chance that was set up just to get them more publicity? Do you think she might have been in on it, and that was just all for show? The whole thing was just bizarre. He was wearing like crimson red and. <laughs> Yeah, people are wearing different colors behind him. It was just a bizarre situation. Yeah, it was real strange because, uh, I mean, I, I read later that they're from Florida, so she wanted him to leave Florida because she wanted him to get away from maybe some bad crowds or something like that, and, and he chose Florida. So she was upset. But, but to me, it's like your kid's about to get a full ride and, and a chance to go to the NFL. It's, I don't know. It's kind of kind of an all eyes on me, let me walk off type of moment. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good call. It might have been a attention grab. Yeah. A little bit. Well, you know, we're sitting here in Michigan, and Michigan and Michigan State had their recruits. Uh, what do you think about uh, the U of M and, uh, you know, not getting much national uh, five-star players? I mean, I think it's just a product of them not winning any games. I think when you can't beat Michigan State, when they're coming off a 3-9 and nine season, when obviously getting dominated by, by Urban Meyer and Ohio State, and even Penn State looks like they're not slowing down. I, Michigan right now is in a spot where they, they need to just start – winning some games to start getting recruits because at first Harbaugh was getting top 10 uh, recruiting classes because there was all that hype and excitement. Well, now they, they haven't really performed that well. So, so they just need to start winning games. They have a lot of talent on the team still. People are, people are all mad and, and everything about the class that they just got. They, have, they still have a lot of talent, especially if Shea Patterson is eligible. So they just need to win some games. I think X's and O's, Michigan's up there, but you just look at uh, the talent in quotation marks on the Michigan campus. Uh, I'm referring to the girl situation. It's not great. I'm generalizing here yeah. a little bit, but it's not great. No, we always we always used to call it Habu of M. <laughs> yeah, there it is. All right, yeah, that's enough about uh, recruiting talk. It depresses me hearing that Michigan's not doing well, but we'll see. On to something that does uh, – Brings me much joy. Uh, the Super Bowl was this last Sunday, and as we all know, the Eagles upset the Patriots in dramatic fashion. By the way, bow down to me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay, you did make yeah, that call. I noticed that you were taking pro- uh, like you were happy about that. You you pick them to lose every week. You're going to be right every once in a oh, while. Oh, listen to you. You took didn't you think of like Tennessee over them, Jacksonville over them, and uh, I don't New- think I did. Did I? You took Jacksonville over them. Well, I know. it's week to week. That's how I call it. <laughs> oh my. You did the classic journalism journalism move. You just 
You made the storyline. There you go. You had a couple wrong ones along the way, but you made the storyline. I, I didn't even bring it up till tonight. <laughs> you, you've been sitting on it. You've been waiting. I've been sitting on it, but you tried to say it. I've already published it. I haven't said anything about it. Yeah, so this past Sunday, uh, not only were the Philadelphia Eagles winners, but me and my brother were also winners. As you guys know, I've been kind of dabbling with uh, some some betting and some gambling. We talked about prop bets, but the one that actually was a winner for me and I got to pat myself on the back for this one. Trey Burton. I don't know if you guys remember the Philly Philly play where Nick Foles <laughs> caught yeah, the touchdown course. pass, but yeah. Trey Burton actually threw that pass who and he was and what the prop let me explain the prop first. So it was a double prop. So first off the Eagles had to win the game outright. So that's that's already a ballsy pick right there. Kind of like how you said you were already patting yourself on the back for that okay. earlier. Oh, you went you took my advice. And then not Good only man. that, but Trey Burton guy who no one knows had to account for a touchdown wow those uh, i don't know the odds off the top of my head but me and my brother both put down ten dollars for that to happen i made four hundred dollars he made four hundred dollars off of it whoa that's a good one and it just this is just kind of open invite to you guys well first let me explain my reasoning that's what i was going to ask you where'd you come up with that (laughs) this is what you got to (laughs) do I was looking through the prop bets with these specific players i saw the name trey burton i looked him up i watched his highlight tape First play out the gates, Wildcat quarterback at Florida. He takes a he takes it to the house. Right then and there, I was sold. So I want to offer you guys an invitation to join my gambling crew where we can all make a lot, a lot of money. What are you guys thinking? I'm thinking uh, have a few more hit and then get back to me. I got an email chain. You want on it? I think you want on it. Well, call, let me know in a few months when, when you get through uh, the NBA playoffs. I'm we'll pretty conservative with my money, but I may I may, uh, I may may look you up on that. So, yeah, we'll, we'll just – yeah, in general, what were you guys' thoughts on the game? Oh, maybe the best Super Bowl ever, in my opinion. I mean, it was just tremendous to watch it. You know, one punt, I think. Was there one punt in the game? Yeah. Yeah, no, it was, it was a good game, but it's hard to top. I mean, the last two the Patriots have been in the Seahawks one and the Falcons. Yeah, Super Falcons, Bowl. though, really wasn't much of a game in the first half, was it? This game was pretty tight most of the whole way. I will say I am officially very nervous about Patricia. People, he's people in the media are coming after him. Yeah, uh, just about how bad of a team. And don't you think it's a red flag that Belichick basically courts? Uh, what's the coordinator that's staying? McDaniel. Oh, yeah. Don't you think that's a red flag that he courts McDaniel's back, but he basically just says "see ya" to Patricia? Well, I think a little bit of that, don't you think? It's a backhand slap at Indianapolis for uh, narking on him for Deflate Gate. Seems like that was a little bit of a, a play at Indianapolis too, but I don't know. I'm, I'm not buying into like getting all nervous about Patricia. That New England's defense was beat up. They, I mean, they had injuries across the board, and really, they didn't. They didn't have a whole lot of like top level talent on that defense, and they played pretty well all year. So. So I'm not sitting here saying Patricia's going to be the next Bill Belichick, but I'm also not starting to think he's going to be the next uh, Rod Marinelli either. So I don't know. I, I think I think we'll wait and see. Detroit's defense has a lot of talent on it, and especially if they use the draft well, he, he might be able to turn them around. It's just a red flag to me because doesn't it kind of remind you of how, uh, what's his name, Fredo, Frodo, uh, was passed Fredo, over? Fredo. He was passed over. And they and Michael became the head of the Godfather family. I kind of well, feel well, like Fredo that's... was a nitwit. I mean, come on. <laughs> that's, well, that's what I'm saying. Is Patricia our Fredo? Oh Fredo. my God! I hope not. I don't think so. I thought he came across pretty well at the press conference myself. Did you see that he shaved his beard? And he, everything? he trimmed it up. Yeah. He trimmed it up. Yes. One other thing on the Super Bowl, fellas. I just want to ask your opinion on. I mean, Nick Foles. 
came through big. You know, he played well in the last couple of games for sure. Uh, does he stay? Does he go? What What do you think is going to happen? I know he's under contract, but do they trade him? I think they're, they'd be smart to hang on to him because I know they, they all keep saying that Wentz is the franchise quarterback, and he should be because he, he looks like he is a franchise quarterback. But, I mean, that was a huge injury. He, he blew his knee apart, basically, and that's a long recovery process. So, so I don't even know who their, like, technically their third stringer is, their backup to Foles is. I don't even know who that is. So if you get rid of Foles and you're just banking on Wentz being healthy, uh, I think that's a huge risk, especially coming off a Super Bowl. So, I mean, I think they'd be smart to hang on to him, but especially he's already under contract, so it's not like he's going to demand a ton of money. Yeah, my take on that is, and I'm a big believer in karma, and I think he's in the perfect spot. He's an all-time hero in Philadelphia, no matter what he does the rest of his life. He's a legend. And if he just stays around, even if he's back up to Wentz, comes in if he gets hurt, I think he could get his contract structured where he would be very comfortable. I mean, you know, what is the best job in the NFL? It's backup, isn't it? Yeah, that sounds like the best job to me. Get paid a lot of money. I mean, you just saw how much Jimmy G got paid right. for five games. I like. I don't know. How, Nick Foles will probably get maybe half of that. And he accomplished way more than Jimmy G did with the 49ers. I mean, he's not in the same situation as Jimmy G either. I mean, would you trade a number one choice for Nick Foles on just the what you saw this year? Number one pick or a number one, first rounder? A number one draft, a first rounder. Uh, first, uh, depends on the team. I personally know just because, I mean, what did Jimmy get traded for? Second rounder? Second round, yeah. So I, I don't understand how you kind of seem to give leverage there that this deal just happened and they got a, a lot less. That's true. That's true. But there was a lot of controversy, too, on uh, Garofalo only getting a second round, you know? I mean, it was very strange how that deal all came came down. I, I wouldn't give up a whole lot for Foles just because he, he did get hot and you know in two games, basically, because against the Falcons, he wasn't very good in the playoffs. But then he did tear up the Vikings, and then he played, obviously, real well in the Super Bowl. But... I wouldn't. I wouldn't throw the franchise at him because is he going to be the Foles that was, you know, playing with Chip Kelly and you know before this season, or is he going to be this guy? It would be tough for me to to throw the whole franchise at him. All right, before we wrap this up, guys, let's let's get a little NBA talk. The Pistons obviously improved with the Blake Griffin deal. I mean, they had won five straight heading into Friday night's game against the Clippers. I know, Jared, you got some thoughts on all the trades. I mean. Cleveland virtually gutted their team and reshuffled for LeBron's sake. Well, just some of your thoughts on the NBA trades. Well, for, yeah, the NBA trades. Well, first off, Pistons are 5-0, and and I just want to say this is exactly playing out exactly as I saw it happening. They're going to start off great. Everyone's going to love the whole Blake Griffin thing, and then in a couple years, his leg's going to fall off, and we're going to be stuck with a $170 million contract. So, well, for now, we're happy. This is what people wanted to fill the seats and have some entertainment for a while, but like I said, enjoy it while you can. I guess is well, basically all I have to say. I really mean, what they need to do and with Griffin and it's his first this is the first chance I've really had to watch him pretty closely. He's a he's a hell of a player. He's he passes the ball well, he scores well, he's definitely lit a fire under Drummond. And frankly, look at the East. I mean, what do you got in the Eastern Conference? I mean, if the Pistons can can solidify maybe one more spot, who knows? They could make a run. No, I really think they can, and, and yeah, all, all the credit to Griffin because when he came in the league, he was pretty one-dimensional, and he has he has really developed his game a lot. He, I mean, he's he's one of the best. I don't know if you want to call him a power forward in the league. He was third in MVP MVP voting a few years ago, so he's definitely a great player. But I mean, like we've talked about before, the injury history and then that huge contract is all that that makes me a little nervous. But the biggest thing is, what where's LeBron? If LeBron's in the East, then, then that's almost all that matters for the most part. If, if he goes West and the Pistons can kind of build around Drummond and Griffin, I'd, I'd, I'd be excited. 
I will say this about the the trade deadline. Uh, did you Adrian Wojnarowski? I don't know if you guys follow him on Twitter, but yeah, yeah Wojbomb. He, he had yeah Wojbomb. He had himself a day. So I just had a question for you, Matt. When Woj is kind of you know having himself a day like that, do you kind of avoid him like a no hitter, or do you <laughs> still interact with him? I've been up there in Bristol a few times for even the MLB trade deadlines. And those guys, the the insiders, are just running around like you know, like Adam Schefter, guys like that are just running around like crazy. And I mean, really, you want to know what's going on because if something happens, Sports Center or whatever show is going to immediately want to get stuff on the air. So if you can ask them, okay, all of a sudden IT is going to get traded to Lakers, you know, you need to start working on something for IT. So, so no, I mean, it's not like a no hitter. It's not like that. You you want the inside info. What a move by LeBron James. He basically paved his way to LA next year. Do you guys think he's heading out? He's heading out of Cleveland, I think. I'm not 100% sure he's going to L.A., but I mean, they have $70 million are, dollars in cap space. Matt, would you like that as a uh, bandwagon Lakers fan? Yeah, I, I knew you were going to say that. <laughs> um, I mean, I would obviously – it's one of those things. I think it'd be like it'd be like in the early 90s if, if Michael Jordan somehow signed with the Pistons. It'd be one of those things like Pistons fans would have hated that, but at the same time you got the best player in the league on your team. You know, I – I'd come around. I'd you know I'd be all right to have LeBron. I just I'd be real surprised if he went to the Lakers. It just doesn't seem like something he would do. I I think he would stay in Cleveland over going to L.A. But I mean, if they can offer him a max deal and then get Paul George or someone else to go too, yeah, he might. Who knows? They made they did keep the Brooklyn pick, which I think was smart by them. But yeah, I think he's already he's already got one foot out the door. Right, I yeah. agree. They had to make some moves if they wanted to try and win a championship this year, so at least they did that. But no one in the East is beating them. I, I don't take the Raptors seriously. I mean, the Celtics, I guess, maybe could push them to seven games. But man, once LeBron gets to the playoffs, he he turns it into he turns it on a, to a different level. So yeah, no doubt, he is the the best ever, better than Michael nah, Jordan, better than Kobe Bryant. We're not going that far. <laughs> Up for debate for sure. All right, guys, I think that's enough for now. I want to definitely send out special thanks to John Fattel, Phil Zielinski, Mike Weber, and Charlie Carr for braving the snow here in mid-Michigan tonight, at least everybody but Z-Man. And uh, great to hear those stories from the 83 squad. Also, don't forget to tune in to Z92.5 live next Tuesday night, February 13th, as the Cavaliers boys basketball squad takes on Fowlerville right around 730 as CHS honors the 1947 undefeated football team. And also, please share this pod with all your friends, and uh, we'd love to hear your feedback. Follow us on Twitter. I'm at Z92.5 Sports Guy. Matt, you're at? Burnsy381. And Jared? At FastXSports underscore. And again, you can email us at 3pointpod at gmail.com. We love the support, and we also want to thank, again, our sponsors, Trimer Corporation and Rivals Tap House and Grill for helping celebrate the 35th anniversary of the state champs. This has been a Sportsnet Michigan and Fat Stack Sports production with special consideration provided by Z92.5 The Castle. Until next time, thanks for listening to Three Point Podcast.